Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello, I'm David Hepworth. You're listening to Word in Your Ear, a series of conversations with music people and music writers. You can subscribe to make sure you get our podcasts at www.wordpodcast.co.uk. Tonight, our guests at the Islington in London swinging Islington are Tessa Niles and Gina Foster, two of the UK's most in-demand suppliers of backing vocals, whose joint experience encompasses Live Aid, Stevie Wonder, The Rolling Stones, and advertisements for Cabbage Patch Kids. So on this particular evening, Mark Ellen started off by asking Tessa how she got interested in singing. Um, I think I wanted to be Julie Andrews originally. Oh, right. Sound of Music, growing up, watching yeah. that, yeah. yeah. I wanted to be a dancer. <laughs> I still keep thinking they're going to find me out that I'm here being a singer after all these years. You <laughs> But yes, uh, Gladys Knight or um, Kate Bush, even. Kate Bush. Yeah, yeah. And when did you first become aware of the concept of the people behind the, you know, the, the, behind the, the main mic? early on from Stevie Wonder albums, actually. That was... The, the thing for me was actually even more important than Stevie himself was what was going on in the background. And it was in the days when you had all the credits on the albums and yeah. you could see, oh my gosh, they actually have a name. They're called Wonder Love and yeah. they're proper singers. And I was just obsessed. I knew every harmony. I dissected all the vocals and knew, and I know Gina did the same. It my was... big brother bought us uh, Songs in the Key of Life because I come from a big family and he bought us Songs in the Key of Life and I remember putting on that album right from the beginning, the backing vocals. It's about the voices. And, you know, from the beginning to end, my life was changed after that album. But it starts with, with backing vocals, that whole and album. And a large number of singers started off in, in the back line, didn't they? Yeah. You know, um, Whitney Houston and uh, I think Linda Ronstadt and Lisa Stansfield. Absolutely. There was a big That's movement a place to start. Yeah. In, in Newark, New Jersey, actually. For some reason, yeah. there must be something in the water there. But a lot of singers came out of there, I guess, through the gospel uh, through the churches and um, Sister But they weren't Houston. backing singers, they were singers. Yeah, they were yeah. just singers. You sang whatever was there to be sung. Yeah. So give us an idea of your kind of... The, the traditional word in your ear question is, what means of playing music was there in your house when you were a child? <laughs> yes? 
We called it the gram. The gram. The gramophone. Go on, paint us a picture of it. What was it? (laughs) Radio. It was a big. It was a box, you know, about this high. And it had a bit where it kept all the records. Because I'm, I'm the youngest of eight, so all my brothers and sisters had their singles, which I wasn't allowed to play, and I'd kind of sneak them on when they weren't home. And they'd come and go, someone's moved my record! <laughs> so there were things like Otis Redding and, you know, the, 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 all the Motown stuff that my brothers and sisters listened to. Um, but, yeah, Sunday was just in the front room that we called it playing records. Yeah. Standing around the gram. What yeah, about well, you, Yeah, we, we also had yeah. the gram, um, and we weren't allowed to touch it. My brother can uh, actually kind of testify to that, because we, were, you know, you we would it. always break the needle, and you know, our dad would come in and just... Uh, um, That's but, such a bloke thing. <laughs> girls would just thing. get jam on it. Or well, it's true. Or we something. did. We did, actually. Blokes were worried about scratching. <laughs> That's right. But we had, we had a lot of carpenters, a lot of Stevie Wonder... Um, and yeah, that was that was our education, along with the sound of music. So, when did you start singing and deciding that you could kind of make some kind of a go of it, Tessa? Yeah, but I watched all of the the, the TV programs, and if we were lucky enough to be taken to any kind of live performance, I wanted to be on the stage. I mean, I was literally itching to be up there. And I knew I had a, you know, some somewhat of an ear for music, but I had no clue how to, to go about doing it. But I knew that I wanted to be a singer first and foremost. The backing vocal thing came later. Right. And you right. won a Capital Radio Talent Contest or something? Yeah, I won. I won a competition. Singing what? Uh, singing close to you by the Carpenters. Yeah. I, I did a sort of a multi-tracked uh, version of this thing, and I sang, I think it was 30 seconds, and it was the Golden Lay Egg Company that sponsored it. So I won £20, which was a lot of money in those days, and 20 quid's worth of groceries from my mum. Superb. <laughs> worth it. Uh, what about, uh, what what about you, Gina? Well, coming from a big family, I'd, I'd be in the in the front room listening to records and singing along, and all my brothers and sisters would be going, "Shut up!" So I never really thought of myself as sing, a singer. I'd try and sing to Gladys Knight, and I couldn't sing like Gladys Knight, so I thought I can't sing. But then maybe I could sing a bit like you know the pop records that we listened. Everyone listened to Radio One, so we listened to all kinds of music. Um, but then I was a big David Essex fan. So I would go to David Essex gigs and at 13 and, and he had the real thing as the backing vocalist and hot gossip dancers and I was just fascinated by this stage thing and I, I thought I'm going to be a dancer and an act- actress. But my last day at school, I went to see Evita because he was in Evita and I thought, musicals, if I could sing as well, I could go to musicals. And um, as a soul ed... I used to go to Tiffany's and Pearly, you know, jazz funk, and we'd always miss. Tiffany's and <laughs> We'd always miss the last bus home and have to walk. The plastic palm trees. Down this hill, and there was this yeah. one house that, in this row, that was just painted white. It had a magnolia tree, and it was, inside you'd see it was all gold brocade and olive green. And at that time, I thought I'm going to leave school and I'm going to get a job in an office and take some singing lessons. And I bought the stage, and there was a number that was local, and I walked up, and it was that house the singing teacher, and he sent me for auditions and I just ended up getting gigs as a singer, thinking, okay, maybe I will be a dancer eventually, but it just carried on from there. Well, so Tessa's you... book actually has pictures of the, of the groups that you were, you were in, I think. Oh, lordy. Which Here we go. Yes, they're oh. called things like Incognita. Incognita. Well, who are still going strong. Oh, they're still going? Oh, yeah, still going strong. They're, they're rather good, but the Shades of Love shades were of love. definitely dodged. You know, you know what's amazing? Which is the Shades of Love here? Uh, 
this one. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell my us my the first group was Sandy and the Honeys at Caravan Sites in Camper Sands. Oh, nice. very Singing good. what kind of numbers? Singing Top of the World and you know, all those carpenter songs, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about Shades of Love. Oh, Shades of Love were a fantastic combo. Um, we used to, actually, we used to sing some fairly good stuff. We'd do uh, long train running. We'd open okay. up with that. And uh, I seem to remember at the beginning of the show, we had to start it with your arms up. That was the opening of the show. And we were in the Middle East. And uh, <laughs> something popped out as I was, yeah, not great. Not great. Um, but that's a particular memory I have with the Shades of Love. But that was a great opener for me. I mean, I, we used to, I used to do a lot of backing vocals with them. Um, and then, yeah, and some lead stuff as well. It was fun. It was great. One question I have to ask both of you, actually, that you, you know, both were professional musicians did you go through the same stage that probably most of the people in this room will have gone through of pretending to sing into a hairbrush or a I don't know whatever definitely doesn't everybody every day in front of a mirror and and when you did it did you sing or did you just mouth no, oh, did definitely you at one singing. point no, magically burst singing. into song I particularly yeah. remember singing along to um, How Long by Ace Classic, classic track right. with the hairdryer and spilt the coffee all over the floor as I was doing it and had to explain to my mother what the stain was on the carpet and all, all you know, all of that stuff. But we all did it, right? No? <laughs> Do you remember no there, was, there was a magazine that had all the lyrics in? I can't remember what it was called. What, Smash Hits? It was before Smash Hits, when oh, I was at primary 45. school. Disco 45. 45. So I would get Disco 45, yeah. and I knew the lyrics to all the songs, and I had a best mate, and she'd get really annoyed. You know, she'd come back from Spain and say, learn the lyrics to that, because I always knew the lyrics to everything. But I just remember, you know, that was the thing, that just remembering all the lyrics and being able to sing along to the radio, whatever came on, and knowing it all. Well, we're going to get to the, the, the big breaks, which I think, Tessa, in your case, was, was that you started working for uh, recording for, for ABC, you worked on the Lexicon of Love album, and then got a job on the, st- on the police tour, wasn't it? And this is just an amazing bit in your fantastic book, where you go from having had not much experience of it to playing these absolutely colossal venues, and playing right. in Shea Stadium, you know, and recording on, you were on Synchronicity, I think. So you've gone from Shades of Love to, you know... <laughs> Pretty yeah. much, there was one step in between. I was with a band called Morrissey Mullen. Oh. Right, okay. I don't know yeah, if anybody yeah. knows Morrissey Mullen. Jazz, Fantastic yeah. jazz. Very, very good yeah. group, but probably never played Shea Stadium. Yeah. Right. Not to yeah. my knowledge. No, okay. At least they right. did not invite me. So sadly, no, I didn't get to do it with them. But they used to have a regular gig at the Half Moon in Putney, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I, I sang with them for a year. And then one afternoon I got a call saying... Can you get down to a rehearsal studio? Um, we, I can't tell you who, it, who it's for, but they're going on tour and it's a big band. And I was like, hang on a second, I'll just check the diary. Lying, you know, it was yeah. nothing in it whatsoever. And um, got in a taxi, donned the ripped jeans and the stripy T-shirt, and, you know, and the big shoulder pads, and went down to the, re- re- the rehearsal studio and still didn't know who it was who I was going to meet. And... Uh, when I got inside, I could hear the strains that were barely being contained uh, by the steel doors, and I realised it was the police. And so I took a minute to uh, <clears throat> compose myself and then opened this gigantic steel door and walked in, and there was Sting and Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland, and there was me sort of shaking, thinking, what the hell do I do now? 
And what, but how did they identify you? How did you how did you get the call from them? How did they how did they find out? About you, I think it came from a lady. This is really long winded, but it came from a lady called Marsha Hunt. Oh, oh right. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, who knew my then Pal husband, yeah. Pal of Mac, of Mick Jaggers, and I think mother of one of his children. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, yeah, it came through her. So thanks, Marsha. Um, and so, what did you have to do for the police? You know, yeah. what did you? <laughs> now, please note the dirty laugh didn't come from me. No, no. <laughs> what, what you, you know, what was you required to do here? Yeah, well, I, I, I was very intimidated. I mean, there were three bona fide rock stars standing in front of me, and I was genuinely very, very frightened. Um, and I didn't do anything actually there. Thank goodness, I just introduced myself and Sting said, look, I'm having a bit of a sing-song in a couple of days at my house. Would you like to come round? <laughs> yes, OK. <laughs> All right, yes. But you had an instruction, didn't you? That there was no vibrato and full power all the time. Yeah. Is that right? Which I think is really interesting. And the other interesting thing is that he wanted backing vocalists to cover the lead vocal. So you had to sing, one of you had to sing the melody the whole time to give his voice a rest. Which that, I that's often our that job, isn't it? Yeah. yeah well, the story of our lives in a way that I think on, on that particular huge tour, um, they knew that it was going to be, or the management knew that Sting's voice was going to take a beating. So they took a chance and, and, and took singers with them so that he could sometimes relax a little bit on his lead vocals and the backing vocalists would, would sort of take over and sing the melody or the harmonies. But it almost never worked out like that because he would just sing full tilt the whole time. But it was a fantastic experience, but I almost lost my voice. It's a bizarre yeah. idea that you paid that money to go and see Stig and, in fact, you're not possibly not hearing Stig. You know? Yes, <laughs> I know. Exactly. You're hearing somebody else. But you've been backing singers during a time when live performance has changed a lot hasn't it you know it's become a lot more demanding you know people play for longer now that they tour for longer I mean, it, it's physically very very demanding isn't it gina it is i mean you've got to learn not to sleep and things like that be up all night and get on a bus and you know be but at the same time you've a... got to preserve yeah your no definitely instrument. it's it's so much of you kind of want to keep up with everyone and do what everyone else is doing you know naughty things that people do but then you have to go to bed because you've got to you know every, well, all of how you feel shows in your voice but so. this is it I remember Robert Plant saying to me that you know trying to pretend that he didn't get too involved in all the bad things that went on with Led Zeppelin which was nonsense but uh, he said well I couldn't really didn't. because if you're a, yeah because if you're a drummer or a guitarist or a bass player you know you can stay up all night and you can still go out and play but if you're the singer it's going to show isn't it yeah it's because this is such a fragile it's instrument, a you know, instrument. it's yeah. built in, so you know it's handy. But that's about where it, you know, it, where it finishes. You've you've got to take care of it. You can't do the copious amounts of drugs and alcohol. Did I did a gig the other day for the first time in all the years that I've been singing. I woke up, I had no voice, and I had not been in that position before. And I thought, what am I going to do? I had to go to the rehearsal. Had the gig the next day. I could not even speak. But somehow the adrenaline kicks in and I just took everything that I could and I got through the gig and no one noticed that I had a lost my voice. I couldn't speak afterwards, but somehow the, it just gets you going. You know, they, the they call it doctor theatre, don't they? Is in, that it? Yes, in, in theatrical circles, oh, right, I think. Okay, I think. Okay. Now, I'm not going to be afraid to ask really dumb questions here, OK? Explain a harmony to me. 
Well, so well, you demonstrate. One so of the things you have to remember is that we, I think some of the times we don't get the respect that we might deserve. Well, because now's your opportunity. I, I have never had any classical training, so I don't, I do it all by ear. So when you ask me what a harmony is, I know thirds and fifths and blah, 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 but I can't, exp- I can do it, but I can't always tell Sing you. Sing us a third and then a, and a, and a fifth. Sing us a third to demonstrate the two. A third? Well, you have to know what the melody is. Well, you, one of you can sing a melody. Bigger song. Sing a third mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are we going to do? What should we sing? Oh. Three, sweet, so three, four. Sweet dreams are made of this. Who am I to disagree? I travel. Okay, so that's the melody, right? That's we all know melody, that's right? the melody. That's the melody. Well, that's yes. low, isn't it? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Annie wouldn't She's sing it. She's always chickening out, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sweet so dreams are made of this. Who am I to disagree? I travel the world and the seven seas. Everybody's looking for something. Very good. Fantastic. And what about vibrato and non-vibrato? Give us, give us something with, without vibrato, then put the vibrato on. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm fascinated. Say, no, go on, go on, go on. I say, yeah. well, yeah, vibrato is basically, it's, it's a wobble. Yeah. It's the wobble that kind of... Uh, Sting doesn't like apparently. Sting doesn't like yeah. it. Although, funnily enough, he sings with it. But yeah. he doesn't like anybody else to sing with it. Hmm. Um, anyway, oh, it's the wobble, and, yeah. it, and it helps you stay in tune, doesn't it, Gina? Yeah, I mean, there's certain singers like Sade. She doesn't sing with vibrato, so she can sound out of tune, but it's part of her sound. Your love is king. It's like, it can sound a bit weird, but if you sing, Your love is king. Vibrato. Oh, I got that. that. Brilliant. I got that. Now, there's a lot more vibrato around nowadays, isn't there? Is that fair to say? It's not called vibrato. Go on. It's called melisma. Right, go on. Tell us about yeah. that then. Come uh-huh. on. And I hate it, so I'm not going to demonstrate. No, no. <laughs> no what you, it is you is. You can demonstrate te- satirically if there, you like. <laughs> I'll go back and tell you another story about so much of what we've done as singers. People come up and say, how do you get to be a singer? And how did I I have no idea because it's always happened by accident. When I coming from that singing teacher, I uh, got a gig with a a group called the Flirtations who um, had kind of been around in the 60s and they'd stayed and one of the singers had gone off and they needed a new girl. So at 17, I was singing with these two grown women, a bit like the Supremes, you know. You might know who the flirtations are, they, um, but they were always on Will Tappers and Shunters and yeah, you know yeah, David yeah, Nixon yeah. and all that. So they would go down and round and do the, the chicken in a basket circuit, Wakefield Theatre Club, Batfield Variety, and all that. So I got to a point nothing, where I thought nothing wrong with Wakefield no, Theatre. No, no, <laughs> it was wonderful, great education. And then I um, thought this isn't going anywhere, you know. So and I'd always been told get a proper job, you know, you got to learn a craft. So I've had a boyfriend who was a hairdresser, and I went and worked in hairdressers to train as a hairdresser. I left. And that was on Duke Street, and thought I would, could sing in the evening, but it was such hard work I didn't sing in the evening. It just, hairdressing took over, and then I got a call one day, and they said, well, "Can you come and meet this person? Because someone wants to write us a song, and maybe you want to come back." And I said, "No, no, no, I'm not doing singing at the moment." They said, "No, just come to the Athenium Hotel in Piccadilly, which was a walk away." So I said, "Okay." So I went down there, met them after work, and we were sitting in the bar for like two hours I'm sitting there you know thinking okay I'm going now they said no no another five minutes he's going to be here and I turned around and there was Stevie Wonder standing in the doorway 
who is actually really tall, I guess because you always see him sitting down. I always imagined he was short. So I thought, oh my God, this Stevie Wonder. And then he walks over to our table. And I'm, I remember that when they came over in the 60s, they toured with Stevie Wonder and he was a friend of theirs. So he came over and said, hi girls, you know, sorry, you know, we went up to his room and he took me aside and he said, you know, these are my friends and I want to write a song for them. And, you know, will you come back? And I was like... Uh, okay. <laughs> so I got back into singing, otherwise I'd be a hairdresser if it wasn't a Stevie Wonder. Yeah. So, but in that time, we, we would go to his, I'd go, after work I'd go to his hotel room and he was trying to find a song for us and he had like boxes of cassettes with just amazing songs and Wonder Love were there singing the songs. He'd say, oh Alex, you know, sing this one and he couldn't quite find the song. And one, he would disappear in the bathroom, no sense of time, be on the phone for ages. And then one day he came out and just wrote this song said Shirley sing this Gina sing this and and he did this song but while I was working with them they would do all these they would get Indian um, music and practice all these scales so that's where that all that came from people like him wanted to sound all the intricate little microtones and all that they would practice this and it was got into gospel music and then it got into R&B and then pop copies this and everyone sings like that now because it, um, and it's also to do with the technology because it's all auto-tuned and they use the computer to perfect everything. So it's much easier to, to, to if someone sings out of tune, you can fix and it's it. it's partly that kind of vocal gymnastics, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Like so, but also the, the music Christina doesn't have Aguilera chord progressions yeah. anymore. Yeah. It's, it's copy and paste. You know, if you listen to a Steely Dan record, it goes somewhere. Yeah. So you can shape your vocal. But now you, it's the same at the beginning as it is at the end. What do you do? You mean they're actually dropping in the, exactly the same vocal? Same track. Same track. Yeah. But with the same vocal as well, so it's identical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what do you, you have to make the vocal interesting, so they do vocal gymnastics to make it... So are you like me, you know, that you sit there and watch the Saturday night TV talent show where some kind of moppet is kind of <laughs> over-emoting some... I don't watch... Uh, and, and think to yourself, that's <laughs> overdoing it. You know, that's not singing. That's just showing off. Yeah, I, th- I think, think for that? us, definitely, there is that sense of just tell the story, sing the song, you know, connect... Yeah. with the audience instead of kind of going off and singing, uh, you know, doing the vocal gymnastics. Yeah. Would, would you, you say, say Bob maybe... Dylan is a good singer? Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. He would, if, he, if he went singer, on The Voice, he? he'd wouldn't get no through voice. No, of course not. But he's, <laughs> he wouldn't get round the past He's uniquely one. Bob Dylan. It's the fact that he doesn't or sound Nina like Simone. anybody else. Is Nina all, Simone yeah. wouldn't have had a career today. No, absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on, oh, these are various people you've worked with and very, or recorded with. And uh, so, I mean, pick... Pick any one of those to talk about the way they work. I don't know. Well, it would have Swain, to be. Swain, there's a brilliant bit in the book where there's tremendous <laughs> friction. Yeah. Tessa, when you're in that the was... studio with them and they're not getting on. No, know. they weren't getting on at all. The so backing singers must see a lot of this from I, the inside. I, well, they do, yes. I mean, we're sort of <coughs> privy to a lot of stuff that goes on, whether it's in the studio or on the road. You know, you're part of the inner sanctum. You're not the band, but you're just the next sort of closest the police thing. police were warring when you were working. Oh, I, something about when. I work with people they seem to be warring worried about that yeah the police were pretty much about to to split up when uh, we did this last synchronicity tour and they were just at each other's throats they were physical with each other they didn't like each other they had three separate limousines uh, one each to take them, you know, hither and thither because they really didn't want to be in each other's company. It was it was coming to an end. So that was that and was do you, sad. And do you and when you're thrown into these band situations, do you have to very very quickly work out what you can do and what you can't do? 
Oh, absolutely. Totally. There's a lot of oh, psychology God. that goes with it. And absolutely. I mean, I think there is used to be a perception, perhaps there isn't so much anymore, that, you know, clearly one of the band had to have been shagging the backing singer because, you know, that was just kind of the way it worked in the 60s and 70s. But by the time we'd got in, it was all too serious and we weren't allowed to do we that anymore. <laughs> I love words no, aloud. You, you, Who made well, sure just, that? <laughs> well, the thing was, that's why there were groupies, because groupies took care of that side of things. And we were part of the, of, of the band. And, 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 you know, we kind of didn't mix business and pleasure. Can I say that? But I got the impression also that you were the kind of social glue to some extent, in that, in that nobody falls out with the backing singer. No one's going to be, nobody's going to be upstaged by the backing singer. No, the backing singer. singers just fall out with each other. Oh, they fall out with each other? They probably do. Does that yeah. get competitive? Yeah. No, but I got the impression that, that the bands yeah. will confide yeah. in the backing singer. I think so. I think you so. Because we're, we're, we're no threat. Yeah. We're no threat. And, and we're genuinely kind of quite jolly, happy people. And I think that's one of the reasons yeah. we're around also, is to make that atmosphere... Uh, Conducive for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Let me choose one of these for you. The Stones. You were on Steel Wheels, weren't you, Tessa? I mean, what's that? What's it like recording with the Stones? How did yeah, that work? yeah, yeah. Strange. Are um, you ever in the same room as them? Yeah, actually, I think a lot of people don't realise that recording is done in in different stages, and so very often, uh, I mean, for instance, I worked on uh, What's Love Got to Do with It with Tina Turner, but she wasn't there. So I didn't get to meet her, but I sang on the record and, yeah. and, and did that. But with the Stones, uh, they were definitely there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How could you tell? <laughs> yeah. Well, Keith was doing his Keith thing, and, and, um, and Mick was being Mick, just kind of strutting up. I mean, he was being classically Mick, strutting up and down. He had, I think he had a girlfriend on the phone, and, you know, he was... You know, involved in some kind of drama, and he was just completely, fabulously, wonderfully Mick. And you must be really tempted in situations like that to just not concentrate on the work. Just you just want to listen to what's going on, <laughs> don't you? Because I mean, you must go home, and you know, somebody says, "Go on, what was so and so like?" And you, you well, must that's have why I wrote a book. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Fair, yeah, fair enough. Fair so enough. often they're not—they're just people, aren't they? They're not actually as interesting as uh, you might think. So. But here you, you've got it's a wide range of different kinds of acts, you know. So in working with ABC, you know, Trevor Horn, Lexicon of Love, that's very kind of delicate, micro-managed stuff, isn't it? Are you working on the same bit for ages with that kind of production? Yeah, I mean, I'm casting my mind back to it now, and it was... Um, there was a lot of guesswork, I think, um, I don't. I think the whole thing when when you're in the studio, the producer kind of wants to throw a few different things at you, and you try things in different ways. Um, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think you just have to be incredibly flexible. How does the guide vocal business work? Because that's fascinating. But you know, because when it's a bit where Nicole Kidman and Robbie Williams made a record together, and you do Nicole Kidman's vocal for her, don't you? A basic idea of what the producer is looking for. Yeah. So are you are you instructed on a certain way to sing, or is that your interpretation of how it ought to be, or or are you impersonating the singer that you're meant to be yeah. laying yeah. the thing down? For? I think a bit of a bit of everything. I think when you go into the studio and do a guide vocal, uh, if it, if you know it's not for you, the song isn't for you, and it's for somebody else. You, you wouldn't do any vocal, particular vocal trickery on it. You'd Often the it reason you're straight. called in is because you're getting a sing, someone who's not a singer. They don't actually know how to 
do, uh, m- sing a song that someone hasn't sung before. That's why some people do covers, because someone's nailed the vocal. Right. And then they can just copy. But if you're going into a song that hasn't been sung... I, I remember doing a session for a writer, and he just had the melody, and Lulu was doing the lyrics, and I had to go in and sing... I don't know, which turned out to be, I don't really want to fight, no, no. You know, so you kind of they give the initial... Yeah. So you create, <laughs> the, it must be fantastic. You create the music the there, yeah. really, don't you? Yeah, you've always got an input into... That's why you get called. Are there yeah. any big hits where you can actually say to people when they're on, that is precisely... It. Give us an example of that one. Yeah, there was a song, a track I did for Duran Duran. Oh, right. And um, I was given the melody. I didn't write the melody, but it was... I, you know, I kind of interpreted it, shall we say, and it was a song called Come Undone, which was actually a top ten hit yeah. in, in, uh, in the US. And Simon the Bond followed your vocal... Well, actually, no, he actually took himself out and just left me on the track. Oh, right. So, so, it's, it's, so it's a little bit more like... A, it's not quite a duet, but it's, yeah. It's but you just get paid the session fee. Sadly, yes. Right. The Duran Duran section in your book is absolutely hilarious. She talks about them wearing guy liner on stage. <laughs> they <laughs> literally wore really more makeup than I did. That's and, and, and of all the party animals that you're talking about, they are the most over the top. I mean, a Duran Duran tour is completely... Give us some idea of just how over the top these guys are. Yeah, they're fairly over the top. They, they are the ultimate party band, and they live to party. And we were doing a gig at the... We were opening the Hard Rock Hotel in, in Vegas, so you can imagine and uh, it was crazy it was just insane and of course they have all these celebrity friends and so people show up after the show and it's all wonderful and they just love it and they're still doing it now and they're in their 50s so yeah well this that picture there with Stevie and me in the middle was actually you know you just got a call one day can you come and do a session at Westway in uh, Laverick Grove and it turned out to be a Stevie Wonder session there's Carol Thompson down the bottom, yeah. David Rodigan would know, yeah. and Paul Johnson, and he actually wrote the song while we were there. He hadn't written the song. Everyone came in, and they, everyone was like, oh, my God, it's Stevie Wonder, and he just sat and played whatever favourite tune people wanted to hear, and then he wrote the song, and we, and we did the BBs on the spot. I love the way people work like that. Elton John's exactly the same. He yeah. has somebody he's booked in to record the song at 12 o'clock that he hasn't written at 11 o'clock. No. And, and apparently can. it makes you... Because it's quite a lot of money, isn't it? You know, ticking up, yeah, you know. Absolutely. It makes you get on with it, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah but now, some of the things you do are, uh, you know, occasionally, you know, not legendary you know, musicians. They might involve... The advertising of the Cabbage Patch doll or the Kinder Egg. And yeah. your first, your first one was for the Meat Marketing Board, was that right? Yes, it yeah. was for the Meat Marketing Board. And it was, oh, I can't Do remember, remember the, what the, the jingle was. I can't remember the jingle, but I remember it very well because I had braces on my teeth, <laughs> and I think I had to say it was something about stewing steak, <laughs> <laughs> and I had terrible problems saying stewing steak. I could barely get my mouth around it. So yeah, that, that one was memorable. And so, uh, do you, you get called upon to do things that are speech as well as music? Do you for for commercials? Does that happen? Yeah, yeah. I used to do. I used to do the very speeded up bit at the end of the advert. You know, uh, and batteries not included. Each doll told separately. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, the disclaimers. That yeah, must be exactly a... for Barbie. I was the voice of Barbie for a long time. Yeah. And uh, how does Barbie sound? Uh, Barbie sounds like this. Yeah. <laughs> She's really sweet, and um, she uh, doesn't come with any batteries. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. You weren't the voice of body form, were you? Do you remember that? No. That was huge. Oh, 
Body Who is that? Is the best advert, isn't it? It is astonishing. Everyone was talking about it. Yeah. So Stevie Langer. Was it you? Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah. 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 How does that one go? I don't know. Oh, God. Can anyone ah, do that? Wow, oh, body, body form. Oh, you that? <laughs> oh, no, it's a classic. It's, it's the absolute, absolute oh, classic. But the point is, you might turn up and you don't know what the product is, like you didn't know whether it was the police or whatever. <laughs> And they just go, Kinder Eggs, you know, go. And you just have to, you have to get into the Kinder Egg space, do you? Just yeah, I, I was told, could I sound a bit more green? Right. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. Okay, so it's a useful skill. But oh, this is, yeah, well, we put these in because they're just so fascinating, uh, what you had to say about both of these guys. I mean, George Harrison, there's a bit where you tell how he, he ruined his voice on the dark... A horse tour, I think it was. And I remember I've seen a documentary of this, and he has all these potions that he has to drink before he goes on stage. So he really did shred his voice, didn't he? And couldn't perform. Yeah, I mean, I think so many singers do, don't they, Gina? They just, it's so rigorous. The whole thing about singing and touring and, and, and singing night after yeah. night. And, you, you know, you're not about to kind of do a, a nice, quiet little vocal. You're going to give it full tilt every night. And, and the voice... you don't realise at the time the damage you're doing. It's accumulative. So, you know, once you've torn a little bit and then sing on top of that, it, over the years, it just disappears. But don't they worry that it might never come back? You know, people lost their voice. Paul, Paul Young lost his voice. Yeah, didn't they? Paul we, we Young. We don't hear good. Paul Young anymore because he simply lost his voice about 15 he's years ago. Gigging, he's, he's still gigging, but it's a struggle. Still gigging. Roger, <laughs> Roger, he's still gigging. He just mimes. But, but no one well, can hear him. On, yeah, it's very quiet. <laughs> yes, intimate evenings. No, unplugged. people have terrible problems and, and lose their voices. I mean, Adele lost her voice. It was, yeah. She had to have vocal surgery, so did Sam Smith. Annie Lennox. That's right. Had, yeah. um, Sam Smith. Not yeah. just Roger Daltrey c- constantly worrying about not being able to hit the top notes, yeah. and Ro- Ro- Robert Plant can't, and Paul McCartney well, now can't. Yeah. So Bob Dylan's at an advantage, isn't he? Yeah, huge advantage. <laughs> as is Leonard Cohen. Or was do, 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 you, the way to go. do you kind of monitor your own voices? You know, do you, do yes. you kind of yeah. right? What, do you go to vocal? No, I think you just learn yourself. You, you, you know, you, you have to be aware of your own body. Yourself. Yeah. Um, just shut up for the day. Yeah, I, and, right. I, and also I think there's a thing that um, more experienced singers can do, which is basically sing quieter, because they know that if they carry on singing at full tilt, particularly in something like a rehearsal where you don't need to sing right. at full tilt, so you just pull it back and you think, OK, I'm going to have to save, save this a bit. But younger singers coming up don't know how to do that. You know, they just don't know the breadth of, 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 the, of what their voice can vocals. and can't do. Is as a lead singer, you can work away around it. But if you're doing BVs, you've got to do what you've been told to do. You can't change because you're singing with other people. You know. I wonder, so. One question I, I wanted to ask you, it pretty much relates to talking about guide vocals and things like this. The records are built up, you know, layer by layer now, nowadays, aren't they? And you know, there's there's all kinds of mixing desks, far more sophisticated than the one we've got over there. Uh, and and I always think if I'm at my concert and there's three backing singers there and there's the lead singer. I always think, somebody is mixing this. So that they they, there's a thing called Pro Tools. Yes, go on. Which they, there is a backing track. A lot of the, especially pop gigs, there are backing vocals on track and the singers sing on top. So mostly it's just visual, the singers that are there. Sorry to disappoint you. But, no, but, but, but in fact, I mean, it's beyond that though. It's when Madonna used to play, played, uh, we can legally say this, Madonna used yeah. to have an entire thing on the Syntavid. Janet Jackson, all those. Yeah, because yeah. they, in fact, Michael Jackson did. 
Yeah. It was on Sinclavier, but only because he was dancing, and, and a lot exactly. of the time he did and sing. Madonna's live. answer was, "Which do you want? To, which do you want? Do you want Madonna yeah. to sing, or do you want her to dance? Because yeah. you can't do both." It, it's, no. it's very interesting, so, yeah. but I, but there are singers. I mean, Lady Gaga sings live and dances. She's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. whether you like she's her or amazing. not, she's no. It makes a big yeah. point the fact yeah. she does yeah. that quite rightly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think you know, for us as as backing vocalists, we've always felt that there's a perception also sometimes amongst people who see backing singers. You know, they see them in their little black dresses and, yeah, yeah. and the little shimmy and the whole thing. And they're not quite sure why they're there. Are they there for the glamour? Are they there to add the vocal support? And All of those things. All of those. Yeah, well, exactly. And it is all of those things. And I think there is a perception that somehow backing singers might be like failed lead singers somehow they just haven't made it as as performers and so that's why they're backing vocalists but for us it was a it was a major choice it was like actually we love this this is what we're best at Right. So um, we well, we're in the like middle of we're uh, starting a documentary that we're making because there was 20 feet from stardom, which I didn't watch for ages because I hate the title because it's like, oh, you didn't quite make it to the front yeah, spot, yeah. you know. But I, I've had a solo career. Well, I haven't done as many sessions as Tessa because in the heyday, I was in America, Paisley Park studio, recording my own album. I, I embarked on a solo career, which didn't work out. I had a baby and I, you have to have that drive, you know, and I, I lost the drive. But it wasn't like... I'm, I'm, you know, didn't quite make it because I love doing BVs. It's a whole different skill um, that we do, doesn't isn't appreciated until, like you say, but also it, it, if you walk in and you put your, the parts together yourself because you know how to do that. And there's something intensely attractive in the, in, the, in the book when you talk about the lack of responsibility and that you've got to go on stage and all that, but you're not. The you can big walk star. down the street afterwards. You can walk down the street afterwards, <laughs> you know. And then there's this terrible transition which all, all musicians have going from, as you say, put it from rock chick to housewife, from limos <laughs> to Tesco's. And, and suddenly you're on you're on tour and everyone's doing everything for you, the centre of attention. Then you've got to go home. That's right. Go, I remember the home. Feeling. I was doing a, a gig yeah. with Annie Lennox that we did a live recording at um, Hammersmith Lyric and I came out and there was the limo and all, these people were standing there going Gina, Gina and I was like oh, I didn't like it I got home to my house in Chiswick and was quite pleased that right. there was no one at my doorstep yeah. I could just go in and there's no one peeking through the window or hiding under the bed yeah. one, of the, one of the occupational hazards of uh, female banking singers is the frock isn't it? Yeah, the, the outfit frock. Well, the, back, the black There's usually frock. an outfit, isn't yeah. Are you there? told what yes. to wear? Decided yeah. Black what is the uniform, yes. Because yeah. when you're police tour, you were wearing kind of long... How full. would we describe them? Well, they were like full Arab outfit. I, yeah. say, I, I don't know how else to describe I it. I don't we think you do it. You wouldn't be done nowadays, would no, it? No, definitely not now. No, 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 right. no. Not rocking up to a gig in, in full burqa and everything. Yeah. But is it kind of like being a bridesmaid, you know, that you have kind of fear the frock? Do you? That you what's somebody going to turn up with that I'm going to have to wear? Do well, you? that's the other thing they say, always the bridesmaid about the back and vocals. Because right. you're not allowed, yeah. to, you're not allowed right. to draw focus. You yeah. know, the focus. Yeah. I remember um, the, I did the first Jules Holland uh, Hoot Nanny, because I was working with Chuck Demons and Pliers and um, Sly and Robbie, so we were on that. And then they needed BV, so we ended up doing Sting and Dina Carroll. And I knew some of the people that were doing Dina Carroll, and we were like, you know, give us a gig. And they said, no, because you'd pull focus. You, 
she can't have backing vocals like you. Uh, stage, yeah, you yeah. see, there's Sick. another thing Good. about security, you know, uh, artists feeling insecure, perhaps female artists possibly feeling insecure, having other, other women backing them. Whereas you get Tina Turner, who will have the hottest backing vocals, because she can. Because know, she there's can. no competition. She's yeah, almost absolutely. done that, hasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for a long, long yeah. time. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll flip over that one, I think. We're, do, We've done Duran Duran, but I was just interested in the idea of huge crowds. Yes. Just thinking, I mean, how do you, do you, how have do you a, see a crowd that big? Can, can you feel the reaction? But you don't see... You, it's, you know how, this is more intimidating than that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, when you're playing Shea yeah. Stadium and there's tiny little print pricks of people and you don't, they're not really people, are they? It's like but you, you must don't. have some times when you don't have anything to do and you're on stage. <laughs> yes. Like, do you, Yes. And, and are you amusing yourself by having a look round the crowd? Yes? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Checking out the people who in the front row. because That's they're, not they're his fantastic. wife. You know, <laughs> all that. Yeah. And you can, because you think no one's looking night. at you. They, you, yeah. they, you think everyone's looking at the main person. And yeah. you yeah, it's just see what she's wearing down the front. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so you keep yourself amused. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. But the thing is, you can't go off, you know, you can't go off for too long because you've got to come in back in with your right. the chorus parts and right. your stuff, you know. We were talking earlier, you said that, that, that nobody does Shalala anymore, do they? Or, you know, I can't remember the last time I was asked to sing Shalala or Whamalama Ding Dong. <laughs> Because there must have been somebody who originally wrote Whamalama Ding Dong, exactly. wasn't that? Yeah, exactly. But you were saying, Gina, you, you, you tried you tried some of this the other day. I didn't think you? I think really it's because backing vocalists don't get asked to do the BBs. They're, they're, nowadays, everyone wants to be in control. You've got you know, there's one guy making the music, and he thinks he knows everything because he, he can play the bass on a keyboard, he can play the drums with his fingers, and so he will do the BBs arrangement, not really knowing what's possible. So uh, if, if he asks me, then I will do those things. I'll show him the scope of what is possible within a song. But, you know. Can you think of any songs that were made by the backing vocals? We were oh, talking absolutely. About, we were talking about um, Walk on the Wild Side. Joe Cocker. On. Joe Cocker, Help yeah. with my friends. Yeah. What would that be without the BBs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Respect. Yeah. R-E-S-B-C-D. Oh, right. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Midnight Train to Georgia. Just a little bit, just a little bit. I mean... You know, they're, they're kind well, those of Aretha Franklin records were made around the backing vocals. They're all yeah, assisters, right. weren't they? Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. Sisters, yeah, that's right. So it was, a, it was effectively a. It's kind a very of much a part of the song, isn't yeah, it? I think yeah, the thing definitely. about BVs is that why they're so uh, important in record making is that they take a part of the song that you wanted the hook and they turn it into this kind of magical uh, part that is it just leaps out of the track and just. It, it, draw, it draws the audience it, in, because that's the bit that you sing along to, isn't it? Yeah, you might not okay. remember the verse, but you're certainly going to listen to and remember the chorus, because it's so hammered home by the backing Because you're kind of encouraging the audience to sing along, aren't you? Exactly. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. OK, that's the yeah. kind of classic function yeah. of, of the chorus, I yeah, suppose. that's it. What have we got here? Just more people. It was the people you work with. I mean, um, the, the, Robbie Williams. There's a wonderful story. You do the tour with Robbie Williams, and you know you played Nebworth and all that stuff. And then something just rings you up and announces that he's going to give you a large cash bonus. Yeah. yeah. So that was astonishing. That can't yeah. happen very often. Not very. And often. A very substantial amount of money Not now. Comes, comes down <laughs> the pipe. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, th- I remember it well because I was sitting in Pizza Hut with a whole load of kids and other mums and stuff and took a call from Robbie's management and um, and it was uh, Robbie would like to give you a gift and, be and I had mozzarella yeah. kind of dripping yeah. all over. I was like what <laughs> yeah it was extraordinary and he's very generous he's incredibly he's wonderful to work for 
Because the quantities of guy. cash, it makes you realise, you know, when you're playing a stadium, the yeah. colossal amounts of cash being, even though you're all staying in these fabulous hotels, all that, the amount of money being earned is yeah. ludicrous. No, it's massive, massive. So that's great. Yeah. Although and a lot of artists make their money from live things now, so that Absolutely. I think rather than records, is. so yeah, there's yeah, not yeah, so yeah. much of that cash yeah. flowing. Yeah. So the less and more. Yeah. Is, it, is it generally a well-paid, you know, profession? I think. A lot of gigs now pay the same as when we were around in the 80s, which is, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not trickling it up anymore. Yeah. <laughs> because people don't sell the... It's like the, journalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked, actually, what young people get paid, because they don't actually know what we got paid. Yeah. So they yeah. will go and do a gig in Serbia for 120 quid, you know, yeah. get up at four o'clock in the morning, get dropped off at Hammersmith, you know, at four in the morning and find your way home. Whereas we w- we had cars to pick us up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, I mean, I think every industry has seen that decline. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, particularly yeah. But the, I suppose this would be you know one of the higher points. Uh, when did, was the Princess Trust? Yes, indeed. Show? Look, Which look show at was some this? good people there. There's Leonard Cohen there. There's Howard Jones. Uh, Midgeour, the Bee Gees, Phil Collins. Peter Gabriel, is it? Peter Gabriel, yeah, Brian May. Yeah. Oh, my word. Mark Knopfler. That strange guy from Wet, Wet, Wet. <laughs> <laughs> In what way strange? He smiles uh, a lot. <laughs> well, I think he made a serious error in judgment, which I'm sure he would probably even admit to. He tried to outsing Joe Cocker on that gig. OSC. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Yeah, not right. Not, That's not, a bad right, move, right. Not So do you notice these things? You're at the back of the stage and you're thinking, oh, let's push that too far. <laughs> I, I, and you haven't got to let your, your, your face betray your emotions, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. You've you just got to keep... Keep poised, keep Do you have moving. standard movements that you do? <laughs> oh, yes. The, go on, The go step, on. you know. What's it going? Go on, go on. Yeah. What, what, what the back and vocal dance. Go on, go on. Go on you have to do it with me. <laughs> go on, do <laughs> it together. Everybody knows the back and vocal dance. This is really going to work on the podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. Do this. How do we do this? We've got to have got an step, imaginary beat. <laughs> That's it. That's That's right, it's okay. It's, an, it's very good. It took us years to perfect that. Years. It's like it's Marcel Marceau on radio. Really <laughs> on the podcast. It's, it's a kind of it's a kind of amble, right. isn't it? You can't afford yeah. to go too far because you're going to drop off the That's the right. riser. You've got to stay near the mic. Get back to the mic. Yeah, 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 yeah. The backing singer is always constantly catching the attention of other members of the band, smiling at them and keeping that connection going, which is a very important part. Yeah, the vibe's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just a a brilliant section in the book where you, Tessa, are hired by the. It's a fantastic scratch band, isn't it? It's Thomas Dolby, wasn't it? Amazing Strong, I think. Absolutely. Matthew Seligman. I mean, these guys, he just put together this really young band to play Live Aid. And, uh, you know, you're flown in in a helicopter and David Bowie can't stand being flown and all this sort of stuff. And, and there's a brilliant bit where he, and you say, you say, he says something like, what, what, what should we play? And you say, what about Rebel Rebel? He goes, brilliant idea. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it was, maybe it was on the song. I think uh, it, it might have been on the list but anyway. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you so feel thrilled. like you chose it, you know. <laughs> but what was it like being out there and seeing that Oh, well, I mean, just crowd? look at the size of that crowd and look at the weather. The weather, yeah, Look at the size of the crowd. And it was only when we were there, to be honest with you, that we really realised how big this thing was. It was only when you stepped out on the stage and went oh my god and saw everybody backstage and we thought okay this is, this is big. This is bigger than we've ever done. And it was extraordinary. It was one of the few occasions where I've had an artist ask me what I was wearing. 
what I was going, what I was thinking of wearing on the gig. Well, rather than telling you what to wear. Well, yeah, or or rather than just, you know, the little black dress, which is normally the kind of uniform that we we have. And um, I was so impressed because I thought, yeah, this is a guy that's really interested in the visuals as well as the sound. It's the full package. And had you decided what you were going to wear at that point that he asked you? No, not at all. We said, well, what are you wearing? Oh, right. And he said, well, I'm wearing a little powder blue... Powder blue number. ...outfit. So I don't want to clash And I said, them. aha, OK. And myself and the other lady, Helena Springs, decided that we would compliment him with a little blue outfit of our own. Right. Shoulder pads are go-go there, aren't they? Oh, massive. Yeah, absolutely. Massive. There's That's actually another backing We were just talking about Butler and Wilson brooches. You know, we, you the big Butler and Wilson jewellery that <laughs> yeah. we used to wear. And you were on, uh, you were on Dancing on the Street, weren't you? Yeah, well? the, the yeah. Jagger, exactly. The Jagger... Uh, uh, exactly. Bowie single, yeah. Yeah. Were you, did that re- you record that with them too? Well, probably not. Done no, something? they'd already done their bits. It was another yeah. classic example yeah. of didn't meet the, st- the artists in the studio. Yeah. Um, I were, we were routining the, yeah. the Live Aid concert and then we just got a call to say, can you come down and we're going to sing this song and and uh, and did the BVs on it. Yeah. So it was great. It was It's great you know, to, to actually sort of walk into a supermarket now and hear Dancing in the Street and think, <laughs> yeah. Do you nudge people in the queue? Sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> I, I do. I wouldn't be able to resist it. There's a I mad woman who keeps bothering me, yeah. pretending she's on <laughs> yeah, Pretending she's yeah. I was touring with ABC last year, and it was just weird that I was doing... Be- you know, I was being Tessa Niles. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, you were seeing right. that. Right. Yeah. That's right. So the two of you have come together to do these... Uh, you're doing a show this week as unsung right. singers so go on tell us a bit about that we've decided that it's about time we got a bit of credit or not just us but back in vocals in general um well one of the things i noticed when uh, there's a classics album series do you know them they did asia yeah, yeah. they did songs yeah. in the key of life and i sat there with bated breath waiting for them to talk about the bbs and they didn't talk about the bbs at all they never even mentioned them so we've decided to start telling the story about um, backing vocalists and the songs that they sang on because they don't always get credits. So that's what, this night at the Olympic um, in uh, Barnes, we're going to be going through the history where and it all kind of started Thursday. back in the 50s. Yeah, it's on Thursday. Yeah. That's right, uh, Thursday. But if you listen to the podcast, it's like it's already missed it. a past. <laughs> uh, but, but will people get further opportunities to see the This show? is our first one. There will be more, definitely. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the two of you Plus a piano player or... Mike what? Moran. Do you remember right, Mike Moran? Right, right, right. Yeah, he was Rock in a, Bottom. Rock, and, rock yeah. Bottom with, the, with you know, Jackie DeShane. Yeah, he also played the intro to Nobody Does It Better. And the, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of, right, right. Yeah, so he's our, he's our orchestra. And what evening. songs do you sing? Are we going to give it away? It's, it's, oh, right. We've kind of... We were going to the 90s and we've, there's so much to talk about. And so it's 60s, 70s. So we do things like... A bit of dusty, you know, um, bit of Scylla. or downtown. Step inside, you know. love. Step inside, inside love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're doing wrong. that. Can't See? go wrong. We made step, a good choice. Step inside, love, <laughs> and then we what else help we with do? my friends. Yeah, um, which which it's they're all songs that really feature Kiki backing D. vocals. Kiki. Yes, yeah, yeah, excellent. I got the music in me. Yeah. So, and you hope to, you know, eventually involve other backing singers in this, so you could rise We've got up. Two, like we a, have got two other Keith right. Morell and Mim Gray. Uh, are with us, who are both noted backing vocalists. Yeah, and then eventually the plan is that we get 
really well-known backing vocalists who actually also had solo careers. So people like Madeline Bell. P.P. Yeah. Arnold. and P.P. Arnold. Linda Lewis. Yeah. Who are incredible. And, and, just, and also celebrate the fact that they, they don't try and sort of hide the fact that they were backing vocalists. They really... It was a big part of their own history. So we'd get them in and, and, and have them as guest singers and... You know, just just celebrate the whole British music, really. Very exciting. So that starts w- this week, and there'll be, you know, watch out, watch press for details of further shows. And we uh, must shows. fantastic book. And this is this, this is Tessa's book, uh, Backtrack, The Voice between uh, Behind Ma- Music's Greatest Stars, which Tessa would be very happy to sign for you, I'm sure. Very happy uh, to sign for you. If you want to buy it from copies available. Uh, uh, out there. We're going to take a break, and now we'll be back with David Rodigan soon. But meanwhile, please say thank you to Tessa Niles and Gina Foster. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by The Word.